everyone. It's Sean Dubriak from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. Today we thought we'd jump into all things Amazon and their impact from COVID-19. We'll talk a little bit about Zoom, which of course is another COVID-19 related story. And then we will hit on T-Mobile and Sprint and talk a little bit about what that might mean for the future as well as for for 5G demand. We're going uh, A to Z today, Amazon to Zoom. That's right. Amazon would appreciate that, right? They would in the logo, right there in the logo. Yeah. Yeah. So let's kick things off. Obviously, there's been a lot of Amazon news. And if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber and you use Amazon, you've probably seen the extended delays on order fulfillment. Ross, you were pointing out that uh, if you go to Amazon's site, you don't see their daily deals anymore. We also saw that, or at least we're hearing rumors, that Amazon will be delaying Prime Day till till August and perhaps even longer. A number of forces combining here. At the same time, you see Amazon really focusing on medical supplies. There's an announcement that they've brokered a deal with Canada or that Canada has brokered a deal with them to deliver medical supplies for them. So in some ways, taking over some of the logistics perhaps for Canada. Amazon also announced that they're banning the purchase of certain products specifically N95 masks by every average day consumers and only allowing hospitals or healthcare professionals to buy those. So they'll be really focusing on that. It's been interesting to see that. And at the same time, and I had this personal experience this week where I went to buy something, the delivery date I was given by Amazon was the end of April. So it was a full three or four weeks out. And and as of today, I still see many things being quoted with delivery dates that are three or four weeks out. I went over to Walmart and was able to get two-day delivery from Florida and have the product shipped up. So I think one of the winners from this will be Walmart online or other online channels that are able to deliver products in a a reasonable amount. Amazon was really putting a lot of pressure on these companies by doing one day and two day delivery. As they've come off of that, I think it opens up the competition window for some of the other players online. Yeah, I I think they have to tread carefully and this will certainly come up when we talk about Zoom a little bit. But as uh, as it has been, They've been under a tremendous amount of scrutiny uh, from this administration for years, pretty much uh, since um, uh, Trump took office and and possibly even before. Uh, But um, uh, uh, if you look at at, at the companies that stand to benefit from uh, people not going into the physical into physical stores, they're probably at the top of the list. And so uh, they need to be doing everything they can to show that they are trying to put the public health interest above their own typical profit drivers. And there may be some logistics issues here, too. Uh, I could only speculate maybe things like uh, warehouses not operating with the efficiency that they typically do due to the need for people to socially distance from each other a bit more or uh, maybe not being able to get uh, enough um, cargo drivers to meet the demand uh, that they want. So it's, 
it is interesting to see a company that has made so much of its name on this idea of getting as close as it can to instant delivery, backing off of that proposition. Um, and I think it also speaks to their, uh, the, the strength of their, uh, their reputation that they can have consumers um, deal with these kinds of delays and, and not really be adversely affected in terms of public opinion. I mean, we'll, we'll see over time. I also wonder if there may, if it, you know, depending on how long this lasts, if, if there'll be some kind of backlash where people say, hey, you know, I paid my $100 a year to get stuff in, in one day or two days. And, you know, I understand you guys are, are responding to a public health crisis, but if it goes on for months, I mean, what am I paying for, you know, if I'm not a, um, you know, if I, if I don't really use Prime Video or, or the other services, I mean, that still continues to be the service that Prime is most strongly identified with. I think we will see that pushback towards Amazon. Whether it's warranted or not is another question. And to your point, I think everyone is giving every organization more leeway and, and other people more leeway during the navigation of this pandemic, but what you, they have so closely tied their brand and their value proposition to this concept of order it and we'll get it to you in a day or two days and you won't pay shipping that that is become synonymous with Amazon. And now that's no longer in place. So I think you, you'll definitely see that pushback and it will be interesting to see what stories materialize after the fact, because it's, Unclear to me, at least right now, what's driving what appears to be very long delays going from right. two days to order a book to three weeks to have a, you know, a book delivered. And I know maybe I'm like everyone else where all your libraries are closed. So maybe now people right. are just buying the books. And so there is this big spike in demand. And maybe they're trying to uh, maybe they're trying to reoptimize their distribution networks so that as they have books come in from publishers or, or wherever they're coming in from, then they could, for example, turn those all around. They're probably re-optimizing for, for medical supplies. In the case of Canada, maybe they're even taking on entirely new uh, missions and logistical challenges that are unique to Amazon that they haven't tackled before where they're actually going to be the logistics arm of the government in some ways, or at least provide some, some added support there. And so it will be interesting to see um, if those stay in place or if those, you know, uh, go away in the coming months as well. I also find it interesting that uh, Amazon increasingly over the past two years, and we've talked about this on the podcast several times, has been reaching more deeply out into the physical world uh, with the four-star stores, with the bookstores, uh, also even reverse logistics. You know, they have done deals with um, many, many retailers to serve, like for, uh, for example, Kohl's uh, to, uh, you know, if you, if you aren't pleased with something you purchase from Amazon, you can bring it to a Kohl's store, they have a little desk there, you don't even have to package it. You just bring it there with a barcode or whatever, and they, they send it back. Um, and so 
clearly that's off the table right now. Uh, before you had mentioned the observation that uh, th that the um, that today's deals were gone. Not only that, but to give you you know it's just a sign of of how broad the Amazon ecosystem is. There's a whole there are whole website businesses, significant businesses built around Amazon coupon codes and sharing the deals that they have sure. on a daily basis. And, and I saw a notice on one of them that said, uh, we are complying with Amazon's request to not highlight any deals that might put undue strain on their resources uh, at, at this point. I think that was dealnews.com. Uh, and, uh, and the same may be the case for some of the other deal sites as well. So uh, again, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of scrutiny, I think. And so I'm not gonna say you know, the, um, the, the moves that they're making aren't driven out of genuine um, concern uh, and, and a desire to, to do well, uh, but, uh, but they do have to be conscious of their image uh, and they also have to be conscious of of the of the idea that their customers are depending on them for for a lot of things. Generally, thankfully, not um, you know not not the essentials, right? Food and 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 drugs. Um, uh, although they do they do have pill pack, uh, but but that's uh, yeah. I guess that's handled another way. Yeah, I think to your point, Amazon has done a very good job at they know how to motivate consumers to make mm. purchases. And that's what mm -hmm. Amazon Prime Day is all about. Yes. Is I am going to drive a tremendous amount of volume over a 24 hour and last year 48 hour period. And they do it during the holiday season to perfection where they can get hourly deals out there. They have them look like they're disappearing. You know, they, they're time constrained so that people want to jump to those deals. And so they do a, right. a good job. And obviously they know what their, what their flow through is. And so they're optimizing the offerings based upon how much volume they can handle and still in the past maintain that guaranteed delivery you know period and when you get closer to the holiday times i mean they're even guaranteeing within certain hours they'll deliver right. things within you know and and comes to the last few hours they'll deliver it in the last few hours now what you have is this pandemic which is driving all kinds of unique demand spikes that they haven't modeled yet that their systems mm -hmm. haven't really taken into account and so maybe maybe that's what they're even doing is maybe they've even built in a little extra capacity just to anticipate and to handle unforeseen spikes, uh, government requests, other things like that. So there could be any number of, um, of things that are starting to be, be built into it. And so it, it would make sense, I guess, to remove all of those deal type of offerings because that could create spikes in demand where they don't necessarily want spikes right now. They want to be able to handle the, the flow and they're they're getting all of these abnormal spikes anyways and so they'll just take care of those i think some of it may also be you know if they can push um uh prime day out a month uh or or more maybe that provides a little bit more time for the economy to get back on its feet or for us to start seeing programs where 
maybe testing supplies are more common and people have discussed some of these scenarios where, uh, in fact, uh, I just saw, uh, I, I think it was Bernie Sanders of all people talking about a, a potential scenario where uh, more, more testing uh, kits would be available and you would be able to send people who are not at, you know, at less risk and tested to not uh, have the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, disease and, and get them back into the workplace. Um, so, mm -hmm. so as those sorts of things, uh, if it, those kinds of things can materialize, uh, people have more disposable income to buy some of the, let's say, more frivolous uh, items that uh, tend to be sold on Prime Day. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and and it, the demand for Prime Day has probably altered significantly. So we've seen a number of indications that electronic sales, for example, are doing quite well right now. Mm. Uh, tablet sales, game consoles, laptops all seem to be I, doing quite well right now because either people are building out home offices or trying to improve right. home offices or they're right. trying to keep kids entertained, which right. now have a lot more time. And so we've seen a lot of different indications that suggest that um, you know those type of sales are doing quite well. And those have historically been a, a big focus of Amazon Prime Day. And so you know you focus on some of those electronics components. Maybe the demand won't be quite as strong for those type of things later in the year. So it'll be interesting to see if Amazon Prime Day ends up focusing on entirely different things. You know, mm. maybe there'll be a focus on outdoor games or mm. you know other things that we haven't been able to enjoy a lot of in recent months and sure. and we'll be looking for those on Amazon Prime. There've been a couple companies that have been in the news almost every single day since this outbreak started to accelerate here in the US. One was Amazon, the second of course has been Zoom and uh, Zoom bucked the trend that few stocks were able to buck and they uh, actually saw their price per share increase during this downturn while everybody else was was experiencing a pretty strong correction. Uh, so th it, this week in the news, we saw from Zoom that they have implemented a number of security factors. You now have to allow people entrance into your Zoom call. By default, I think. I think you can turn it off, yeah, but, but certainly by default. And, and this is because people were being Zoom bombed. People were essentially showing up or content was showing up in the uh, feeds that you didn't want. So there have been a number of um, storylines around that. Yeah, and um, something that uh, we, we experienced uh, here in the house as uh, my son was uh, on a Zoom class call uh, and there was some uh, content presented in that call that... Um, veered far from the educational nature of the, uh, of, well, I suppose it was educational in some way, but, but certainly, <laughs> certainly not in the way that the teacher uh, intended. So, um, so it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. I mean, we talked a, a little bit about it last week, but it's kind of crazy how this company <clears throat> has become almost like critical national infrastructure at this point. You know, there is, so much activity uh, happening on Zoom. So many schools are using it. So many businesses are using it. And I find it 
somewhat a little bit surprising. I mean, I knew that it had you know, really become a lot more popular, but you would think that there was simply no alternative. Uh, and of course, there right. are a number of alternatives. Uh, and, and I guess part of it is just because of their, or a big part of it is just because of their freemium model, you know, where even if you're having a group call, if you're using a free account, you get cut off after 40 minutes. Uh, a lot of people are, are discovering that uh, in, in a surprising way. It, um, you know, the quality is, of course, very good. The features are good. And it's, it's just that none of the competitors, even though they've been around uh, for some time, have really garnered that kind of mind share. You know, thinking about something like Google Hangouts or, you know, I look, look at a lot of these uh, services and I used one last week that I had never heard of, uh, but which was actually very good, uh, called Whereby. Uh, so check that one out if you're interested. It's it's for up to four uh, video participants. It does screen sharing. Uh, no no ads that I could see. Um, it, it has a, a premium tier, so uh, no no product uh, placement here. Uh, but it was just one that I had not been aware of. There's of course Skype. Uh, Microsoft actually uh, last week made a whole bunch of announcements around Teams uh, and trying to turn that into more of a um, an integral kind of consumer life scheduling kind of tool. So uh, they have been focused primarily on Slack, but with so much of the attention on Zoom uh, these days, I know they have done some partnership stuff with Zoom, uh, but uh, but they're also a competitor. You know, particularly as as it's hard for me to think of in, in terms of productivity, any initiative that's more important to Microsoft than Teams right now. They're, they are full bore on it and they're having a lot of success with it. So, Yeah, and it does seem like Zoom has captured all of the mind share. If, you, if yep. you're a Zoom competitor, you've got to feel extremely frustrated right now that you <laughs> aren't getting at least, some, and they probably are seeing some uplift, but it's clear that companies and individuals have gravitated towards Zoom. I participated in a uh, essentially a birthday party uh. for a family friend last week, and that was a Zoom call, and that was you know set up by somebody in the family who hadn't used conference calling as as default. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you you and I have been using Zoom for a long time, right now, and and we record over Zoom, but um, many people are just now turning to it, and they turn to Zoom as opposed to some of these competitors. I've seen weddings on Zoom, obviously companies and others are doing happy hours on zoom and so you're seeing a lot of movement towards zoom i bet i bet in that scenario sean where someone is not a regular video call user or an even internet call user i'm sure a lot of it is viral you know uh, sure. i got on this call you know they used zoom the quality was good so if i have another um cause for a call. I'm going to use Zoom. I, I also attended a couple of webinars this week uh, that uh, made use of its um, made use of its uh, broadcasting capabilities, which uh, I think is something we've discussed a little bit in, in the past. Uh, not really interactive, uh, maybe using the chat, but uh, you know, broadcasting out to an audience of, of hundreds or, or thousands of, of people connected. And I, I think there's also been 
even though Zoom hasn't been branded uh, in it, there, we, we've seen a lot of this, and who knows what they're using, but, but we've seen a lot of this reinforced on television. You know, TV shows such as The Daily Show, Colbert, Bill Maher, you know, all of these, um, a lot of these late night talk shows uh, are doing all their interviews uh, via video chat now on an iPhone or something. Uh, and so you're, you know, people are getting acclimated to seeing heads and heads and rectangles uh, yeah. talking about um, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how much this sticks. I mean, I, right. I hear a lot about, and there is a, a lot of chatter that, oh, we are now ushering in this remote workforce. I am less convinced. Six months ago, I would have tried to convince you that we were moving quickly towards a remote workforce. But I think what people will realize in a few months is that in many instances, they want to be in the, the office place. Oh, sure. they, they want a schedule. They want to interact with colleagues and cohorts. And, and so you'll see a push towards that. I think companies that are doing strategic planning don't want to do it over lines that may or may not be secure. They want to do those right. Things. In fact, one of the Zoom stories was about them routing traffic through China accidentally. Yeah. Uh, so again, a, a lot of scrutiny on them too, their privacy practices and their security practices. Yeah. And, and to their credit and their defense, they are clearly working around the clock to try yeah. to uh, alleviate pain points for users and to and improve it. And the other interesting thing you're seeing is a lot of these, what were, I would call separate platforms six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, are really starting to um, interconnect. So you're seeing, for example, this week we saw Slack make a number of announcements that they were connecting and-, and Oh, new integrations. Yeah, new integrations yeah. with things like Teams, Zoom, mm -hmm. WebEx, and I, I think WebEx was there, and, and others. So you see this uh, integration taking place that um, that might not have been accelerated so quickly under different circumstances. And and it, I think it is kind of a backlash because what was it two maybe three years ago there there was this uh, movement against teleworking. Uh, you may remember Marissa mm -hmm. Mayer when she was at Yahoo. A uh, lot of flack for decreeing that uh, people, you know, there was going to be no more telework. People had to come into the office. There was a similar announcement from HP, I think, uh, back then. So, sure, you know, of course, there are opportunities, uh, serendipitous opportunities that, that come up when you're working with people that are difficult to replicate in a remote work uh, setting. Well, and I think one of the things that Zoom will do is um, has made us all more comfortable with having these video on experiences. Yes. And having, and we might have talked about this last week on the podcast, that we've kind of entered in this phase where people are okay having their cat run in the background right. or their dog right. run up to them or even a child step into the scene. Yes. Whereas uh, in the past, it, there was a, a, a very strong sense of trying to make any video conferences very, very corporate and very professional. Right. right. We seem to uh, now want... Chilled out a little. Yeah, we want yeah. we want more real life, right? And so that's a piece of the culture. It'll be interesting to see if that can be maintained, uh, if we can be comfortable with an environment where you have 
chaos of real life happening around you while you're in the midst of a, a corporate call. And obviously not every probably corporate Zoom call uh, will work right. with, with family happening in the background, but there's certainly sure. some that, uh, that will. I, I would say that it is consistent with this idea of, hey, everyone, we're all going through a hard time. You know, let's, let's give, give ourselves a break. You know, so I think part of it is that cultural uh, moment. Uh, but the scenario that you described did come up on the Medium call, and they did mention it. Uh, as uh, one of the editor's uh, kids walked by in the background, you know, yeah, um, you know, it wasn't like he was. It wasn't like the BBC, the infamous BBC uh, video segment where uh, you had this guy and his his kid came right up to the camera, and and then other kids came in, and that's that's the that's really become the uh, the nightmare scenario. But yes, you know, everyone, it, it is a little bit of a warped remote work setting because mm -hmm. very often when people do remote work, their kids are not home, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I think for a lot of people, they are home at this point. So, yeah, yeah, yeah they are. Yeah. And it is, it is a, uh, a cultural phenomenon that everyone is experiencing and everyone is having to, to uh, embrace at, at some level. So uh, certainly we will see more next week from Amazon and more next week from Zoom. Let's turn now to our final story we we're going to hit on. T-Mobile cl finally closed its merger with Sprint. Certainly the, the end of an era on, on many fronts. Uh, Sprint, of course, was, uh, I believe they were the first um, digital network, uh, first uh, PCS carrier, right? The to give you a sense of how long ago that was, uh, their logo became a pin dropping to signify the clarity of their calls uh, as opposed to the analog voice era where there was a lot of uh, static and, and breakup. So they, they were definitely a pioneer and made um, you know a number of, I would say, had a tough you know, had a, had a number of tough turns uh, along the way. <clears throat> One of which was the uh, the purchase of Nextel, uh, which uh, was very tough for them to capitalize on. Uh, and the other was the launch of WiMAX, which was driven uh, in part by their Spectrum position. Uh, whereas, of course, the world went to the other 4G standard uh, LTE. So, uh, and, and T-Mobile, um, really a a, a parallel, I'm sorry, a, uh, a, a very opposite kind of story where you had, um, I think it's very unusual for someone to come into a company who is not a founder and exert such a cult of personality to uh, change the entire image of a brand uh, and, and yeah. make uh, not only great gains uh, in terms of the, the network coverage, um, but to, uh, but, but in, in customer service, in <clears throat> brand image, in, in, in disruption. Um, so, you know, here now you have this company, combined company that's going to be, uh, I think they're still number three, right? Uh, behind uh, AT&T Verizon, but much closer uh, then, then you know, much, much more able to go toe to toe uh, with those uh, two giants than 
uh, T-Mobile or Sprint were uh, able to in the past. And um, everything we heard from Ledger uh, coming up to this merger, as you might expect, was that uh, people could continue to expect that T-Mobile would be, the new T-Mobile would be a force for disruption in the industry. And uh, certainly in the short term, it's going to be tough for them to do that as they work on the integration of these two uh, massive companies, but, uh, but, but a huge focus on 5G. And, and that is uh, something that we're also seeing from Verizon now doing a lot of investment in 5G infrastructure, AT&T as well. And you know, even though cellular connectivity has often been built on this idea of mobility, with everyone you know, as a, as a tie-in to our, our last discussion, with, with so much remote work happening right now, uh, you, you, you can't have enough connectivity. You, know, you can't have enough high-quality connectivity uh, options. I'll give you a personal uh, story. Last, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, you know, we, we talk about so many things that, are, uh, that work well on Zoom, but something that does not work well on Zoom is something where uh, you, you need extremely low latency. You know, I, I, uh, I'm in a singing group and we have not been able to meet uh, mm -hmm. since um, uh, COVID-19. Uh, in fact, there was an article, I think in the Times a week ago about a, a group in the uh, Washington uh, state area where this was a, a couple of weeks in and the chorus director said, hey, you know, we're all getting together, you know, hope, hope you can join us. And, Sadly, uh, like three quarters of those who came came down with uh, the coronavirus, and I think there have been a couple of deaths resulting from that as well, one of these so-called super spreader events. So my group is uh, much, much smaller than that, um, but you know, we, we erred on the side of, of caution and, and stopped uh, rehearsing in uh, early in March. Uh, and so we tried to do an online rehearsal now for certain kinds of hobbies this works, uh, but we, we did not even try Zoom. We tried a service called uh, Jam Kazam, which is developed expressly for this purpose. And it kind of worked, you know, but, but it's a latency issue, right? So, so maybe five years from now with a robust 5G connection with extremely low latency, maybe it works, you know, but, but for me, it was, uh, it was not a fun experience because it was, you know, the, the software and network were just not up to the task. So it's not, not something you hear about, like, you know, streaming augmented reality, uh, but it's, it just goes to show that, that there are applications. Well, and I think that's a really interesting point, Ross, because as much as we talk about everything going online because we've been forced online and, and right. you know, weddings and happy hours and everything else that I've already mentioned, but it isn't right now, at least, a good replication of what can happen in physical space. To your point, 5G could usher in some things that we hadn't hadn't thought about, like virtual rehearsals, if mm -hmm. you did have very low latency. And I think um, there was a, and I didn't actually catch it, but I saw, I think it was last week, there was a concert on on um, the uh, the TV, kind of a fundraiser for, for COVID-19. And they uh, did virtual, essentially virtual pre-recorded concert sessions from each of ah. their individual homes. Uh, and then they synced them up? Or... And, and in some instances, they sync them up. But we, over 
arguably a 5G network with very low latency, you could perhaps do something where they could could all be in the, you know, do it together and record together right. and not have to worry about singing up timestamps and other things like that. Uh, and I think another clear, you know, there's lots of interesting applications of 5G. This probably helps drive the new T-Mobile Sprint organization into non-consumer applications. So to your point, they built up a great brand around being consumer centric and the type of freebies you would get by, by subscribing and, you know, and, and the things that they were trying to do to overcome some of the uh, shortfalls that they had in coverage. And then also just to differentiate themselves from their more corporate competitors this might allow them to drive into some of the the um, corporate areas. 5G has really strong applications in manufacturing and warehousing and other things like that, transportation networks. So I think, uh, especially now, if you think about how coronavirus is impacting other pieces of the economy, and we're trying to get a better sense of, of real-time information, 5G could actually probably help support for example, what do the capacity loads look like in some of these environments? And could 5G help us better understand that and, and have real-time views of that? And especially when you think about being able to service hardware remotely or control hardware remotely, uh, there's been a lot of talk about robots and how robots might play a stronger role. But being able to service those robots when you're not on site is a problem and maybe 5G could step in and, and serve that. So actually uh, a, a strong focus on 5G could arguably push them into lots of different marketplaces that they haven't necessarily been a very strong competitor in. Yeah, they've uh, absolutely been pursuing those uh, corporate connectivity uh, options for a long time uh, and have been you know, as I would say, as aggressive there as they have been on the consumer front, but they just haven't been able to leverage all the, um, you know, all, all of the plays in the playbook uh, that, that, that they have been able to do in the consumer market. So um, it is really uh, the, the market or the opportunity uh, where AT&T and Verizon are far uh, ahead of them, I, I think, even as a combined company. Um, yeah. You know, you look at, for example, uh, the telematics deals that uh, car companies do. You know, I think they're all either AT&T or, or Verizon, um, just, just as an example. And, and uh, there's the super fast, you know, real-time augmented reality kind of vision of 5G uh, but there are also IoT-driven standards that uh, do not necessarily are, are optimized very differently. You know, actually very low speed, uh, but extremely long battery life. So, um, you know, I, we're starting to see, I think, this year an explosion in um, in 5G devices, 5G handsets. I had some conversations with uh, some of the carriers late last year that uh, they expect a, a relatively high percentage of their portfolio to be 5G this year. There's been a lot of speculation about a 5G iPhone uh, mm -hmm. in, in the fall, which would be 
uh, a watershed probably. Um, so, um, so th this is, uh, it, the, the, the T-Mobile Sprint merger has always been about 5G uh, and, uh, and, and being able to, to drive it and its benefits um, uh, to, to a bigger uh, portion of, of American consumers, even long before there was this obsession over Huawei and, uh, and, and America's competitiveness uh, with China when it comes to 5G. And by the way, <clears throat> uh, T-Mobile was, uh, was an excellent uh, poster child for, for that because they uh, have their, their own history with Huawei and uh, uh, so Ledger, I remember seeing some of his congressional testimony vowing, uh, you know, that the, the company would, would never use Huawei uh, equipment um, because of some of the past incidents they have. Probably a moot point anyway now because uh, uh, they, they probably wouldn't even be able to use it even if they wanted to um, due to regulatory uh, issues. But, uh, but that, that was perceived, I'm, I'm sure, by him. Uh, as a way to score some points um, with uh, with regulators uh, and and show that uh, they were definitely very motivated to uh, to grow their 5G services without Huawei and and perhaps even at the expense of Huawei. It seemed certainly seemed personal for him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. How quickly do you think they'll have some of this 5G online? And certainly they will, will tout it every inch of the way. But. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I think there, there's a lot happening there now. Uh, they have, you know, if you see their TV commercials, they talk about how they've got 5G nationwide. I don't want to get into a huge uh, tangent about all the intricacies of, of how you roll out 5G, but but basically, they are doing a sub six gigahertz, which means you get good coverage, uh, but not necessarily huge speed benefits. Uh, and uh, what the Sprint bandwidth will allow them to do is to, uh, you know, particularly with some of their higher spectrum holdings, um, to uh, to to tap into some of that uh, higher uh, bandwidth spec. I'm sorry, some of that uh, higher gigahertz spectrum that Sprint has always been very strong in. So, so T-Mobile has very good holdings in the 600 megahertz um, space, some 700 megahertz, and what, what Sprint really buys them uh, is uh, that 2.5 gigahertz spectrum where you're going to see a lot of 5G rollout uh, in, in the coming years. So, Yeah. Well, that's probably a good place to end it. Thanks for joining Ross and I for another episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Uh, and uh, stay safe and healthy, everybody. We'll see you next week for another episode of Techspansive. <laughs>